Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast. The Five Things Podcast is a place where we dive deep, deep into five topics from social media and share our takeaways for all of you. We hope you enjoy it. Joining me this week, my trusty co-host, Beth Rolfs. Hi, Beth. Hi, Kenny. Welcome aboard. And then we are sad because Amanda is under the weather, but we are joined by our intrepid producer, Pinch Hitting, as a guest host this week, Joey Scarillo. Joey, welcome. Hello. His voice is built for podcasts. So true. All right. With that, let's dive into the five things we're talking about this week. First, Trump, Donnie Trump, was banned from Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Snap, Pinterest, and various other places across the social media world. Parler jumped to the number one app on the App Store. TikTok faced legal action over how they handled child data. TikTok also launched its first LiDAR-enabled AR effect, which is really cool. And then finally, the news of Facebook's smart glasses spreading like wildfire. So with that, we jump right into the first thing. This is no surprise to any person with access to the internet or television or ears. Uh, Donald Trump, the soon-to-be former president of the United States, uh, by the time this podcast comes out, we will be really close to the end, uh, has been banned from numerous social media networks, um, setting off a massive debate around free speech and uh, social media companies being private entities versus public space. And what does this mean? And uh, it all started on January 6th with the um, coup attempt, the insurrection that took place uh, when a riotous mob, a violent riotous mob, uh, tried to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power and the certification of electoral votes during the Electoral College, uh, the final step of the Electoral College. Uh, it unfolded on TV globally for the world to see. Uh, and through his typical mouthpiece of social media, uh, Trump tried to, uh, you know, do what he does, which is sort of incite and 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 push and prod and be his himself. And uh, in doing so, uh, was not dissuading the violence that was happening. It was not calming people down. It was actually counterintuitive to what the rest of society was hoping for. So, uh, you know, a, a horrible, dark day in American history and for democracy around the world. Uh, and it feels so, uh, it, it feels strange to talk about it in the context of what, what we do as professionals and uh, what our clients do. Uh, but it, it is sparking a huge debate around the future of social media and social media as uh, a private entities, private companies uh, that really can play by their rules. They have terms of service and, and anyone who signs up for an account has to follow them. And it is at their discretion um, who gets to be on those channels based on those terms of service. 
you know, the president has a microphone. He can go to his press room anytime he wants and have dialogue with the American people. And Twitter is not a public space. Uh, but I think topic du jour, uh, as things start to normalize or hopefully normalize a tiny bit in Washington, will be around what do we do with social networks and how can they start to self-regulate and how do they stop being competitive with one another in this regard and create an environment where um, you know, the, the, the things that divide us are not growing out of social media. I, I know I'm, I'm basically doing a Shakespearean soliloquy here, which is not as elegant, <laughs> um, but I will, I will throw out one last thing, which is I remember when I first got into social media professionally over a decade ago, and we would learn about what was the purpose of Facebook? What was, what was Mark Zuckerberg's intent in creating Facebook? Uh, and it was to create a more open and connected world. And it just seems so, um, it's sad to look back and know that the intent was to create a more open and connected world when really social media has created a more fractured and disconnected world. Uh, more closed and disconnected world. Um, so I will open it up to the team here to talk about this. Um, you know, I think there there are mass implications for, for clients and how they use these channels. And we still encourage that people use these channels uh, because when used correctly, they can create community and they can create connection. And that's a good thing. Um, but I guess the, the, the broad sort of... Um, provocative question is, did what happened on January 6th ruin social media? I mean, I guess we're assuming social media wasn't ruined before what happened on January 6th. Right. Um, I don't think, I don't think what happened on January 6th ruined social media. I think that the, I think that the action since from these, uh, from the social companies has been, has been the correct course of action. Um, just like you said, you know, they have their terms of service. They they can allow what is on their platform and what isn't and what is considered dangerous speech. Um, I don't think that it's a, an, a situation of, you know, a, a First Amendment right or a, an infraction on the First Amendment. But um, I, I think that they I think that these companies all took the right action by doing what they did. Um, you know, the, the president and his people have had a platform for so long to incite dangerous behavior. And what we saw, I think was, um, I think what we saw from the, from the companies afterwards is it was the appropriate action and indicative of, uh, what we saw. Uh, yeah. So what do you think, Beth? I mean, I, I don't disagree with anything that either of you have said about this being the right course of action. And I, I also don't know that, Social media is ruined, but I do think social media will be forever changed. Um, but it is a nice reminder to everyone on the platforms that these platforms are private companies. You know, it's like it's like going to a restaurant. You can you every restaurant has the right to refuse service. And um, that's essentially what happened. I do think that there will be a whole round of policies and procedures that around what constitutes hate speech, what maybe beefing up, I guess, the terms and 
services agreement so that there's some clarity there to help mitigate people feeling like there's unfair action being taken against one group of people versus another. But what the way that the platform Twitter specifically was being used by our president was, was inciting violence and danger and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, actions have consequences. He, he did this thing where he, um, it was like a, a constant, um, extension of your pain threshold where all were at every turn you would say, Oh, it's just Trump being Trump. Oh, it's just Trump being Trump. Oh, it's just, and it's like, it's not, it's like weight gain. Like you don't realize you're gaining weight with every cookie that you eat. And then literally you go back after a month of eating all those cookies every day. And you're like, Oh my God, I gained all this weight. And you don't even know how it happened. And then finally you're like, I can't have these cookies in my apartment anymore. Right. So, <laughs> um, so I know that seems like super childish as a way to think about it, but it's like, he, we let him get away with so much for so long that it took something drastic to make the move that probably should have happened a long time ago. And if it wasn't six days before he was leaving office or eight days before he was leaving office, I really wonder what they would have done. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like every with every tweet or every couple of tweets, it was like we were sort of creating a new normal, and we were just auto auto correcting and getting used to it. Um, I, you know, obviously, I take no pleasure in the fact that you know a president was removed from a social network. I mean, but it is there is a little there is a little poetry in the fact you know, especially because on this show we talked so much about TikTok. And TikTok being banned from by Trump, that TikTok ended up banning Trump and all the social networks did. I think that's just an interesting sort of look and look back on the year that we just had. But um, yeah, it's it's a the world evolves every day. Every day feels like a new normal. I don't think for marketers though that this is going to be a huge a, a huge you know have implications on how they behave on the platform. What I do think is it might have implications for people that engage with branded content in a very um, intense and or hateful way. You know, the trolls and the haters on branded content. Will they rethink some of that behavior because there's a perceived consequence for that kind of rhetoric on Twitter? I think that'll be interesting to watch out for. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be very interesting. And, and how short will the leash be for world leaders after this? Mm-hmm. And will they let private citizen Trump back? Oh, good question. We should wait and see. Ah, well, we have. My, my hope is no, especially in the in the short term, just because of the, the, the potential power he has, you know, with his following yeah. into a new presidency. Well, but who, well, who's to say? And I don't know that you ever return to being a private citizen, right? Like you always keep the title as we call President Obama, President Obama. It is the only not former president. It is the only title in the federal government where you have to say former 
before their name. Oh, really? When they're out of office. So, for example, when you see, uh, I'm, I just turned around to see who's on MSNBC. Okay, so it's Governor Murphy from New Jersey. He will always be Governor Murphy, even after he is out of office. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is that is a common. I worked in D.C. and I remember being taught that as like a lesson. Like you always call them Senator so and so, even after they retire. Or um, yeah. if you've ever noticed when people talk about or Vice President when people Biden, talk about Hillary Clinton, they always say Secretary Clinton because it's the last thing, you, it's the last job you held with a title that remains. So then maybe he will return to private citizen since he did not serve in our government in any aspect before he became Twice impeached former President Donald Trump. All right. Well, um, speaking of uh, places where I don't want to live on the internet, uh, Parler shockingly jumped to number one on the App Store. Joey, why don't you tell us about that? I know, Beth, you have a ton of thoughts on Parler. Yeah. To be honest, I, you know, I mean, I know about Parler, uh, and beyond that, I just know that it exists. I've obviously never been on it. I've never interfaced with it, but, um, Parler saw, you know, a, a huge jump after, after the, the coup on the sixth, um, it users of the app went up 281%, um, two days after, after that, um, according to data from sensor tower um you know this is one of those this is one this is a for people who don't know parlor is a home for conservative and right-wing fans of the president and extremists it's a place where they're not censored or they're not uh you know they their terms of service are not the same as twitter so they can get away with saying a lot more spreading a lot more conspiracy spreading a lot more lies uh and it all they all live in a vacuum and so i don't believe this app engages with a lot of brands or at least a lot of mainstream brands but you know they did see a huge spike right after the coup and i think it makes sense to me it feels the same way you know the reason why gun sales go up whenever you know, a new president or, um, you know, so sadly, but after there's a, a, um, an, an, a shooting, people go out and buy more guns because they think, you know, an app or they think that they're not going to be able to get them. And I feel like this is the same sort of, um, behavior. They, they know the coup happened and they probably read the tea leaves and saw that it, you know, will get, would have gotten shut down. And, um, and so they all, jumped on it before um, Apple and Google took it off of their uh, their app stores, which happened only days after uh, the coup on the uh, on the Capitol. So I don't know. I think this is a, a to me, it's kind of a sad story. I, I you know, it jumped to number one. It's a curiosity and, um, jump. Like, in my opinion, it's a curiosity. Mm-hmm. Jump. Yeah. It's like, OK, what is this thing? It's not because people it's like why you stare at a car accident when you drive by it. It's like, I think people wanted to go on there and be able to read some of the stuff that people were saying. Yeah. Yeah. I I know that That for a fact. I have friends who are very liberal um, who downloaded the app and I was like, what are you doing? And they just wanted to see what people were saying. It's, I mean, it's doom scrolling, but in, you know, the pits of hell versus on Twitter. So it's, I do 
I think that if you looked at data around engagement on the app in terms of posting, that might be a little higher, but probably wouldn't be a one-to-one, -one, you know, users equals participants. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's an interesting behavior I hadn't thought about. Um, you know, just this idea of the curiosity, because for me, I would have, you know, I, I would steer, steer have steered clear um, of, you know, apps like Parler and Gab, but that's interesting. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think the other thing that really probably drove some of that curiosity behavior is the news stories around what's next. And that being somewhere where you could get the scoop, quote, unquote, but I, I, I do think um, you're totally right in the fact that there was also, it was pretty obvious that um, the app was going to be banned and following our, our experience with TikTok earlier in the year, did people think like, I have to download it now or I'm not going to have access? Um, do you guys know if Amazon Web Services has stopped hosting Parler? Yeah, I think okay. they have. I yeah, this just this, didn't want to say that if that wasn't true. But yeah, it's honestly, I think the COVID effect has forced people. They just download things and try them out and get rid of them because they have the time sitting around doom scrolling. Um, and I think a lot of people consider themselves like internet sleuths, like they're going to be able to find something and and find the answer on their own. So. There are no brand implications for this story. If you are a marketer and you are listening to this, there's <laughs> nothing that you need to know about this. This is simply uh, a, a curiosity play. I would argue that the one branded piece of this is the power of the the kind of power of the app stores, but also the power of the hosting services. So AWS shutting down Parler's platform to function on, I think is a big step and I think has um, inspired other brands to take big action as well. If we have to like tie it to Brandy, that's, <laughs> that's I think the closest tie. Yeah. I think, I think that um, brand recognition too, right? No. So because Twitter obviously bans the president, that draws more attention to um, other apps like Gab and Parler, similar to like during the election when, you know, Fox News called, I think it was Arizona for the president, people started turning on Fox News and where does everybody go? Now they turn to, you know, of where do conservative people go? They start turning to OAN and, um, and Newsmax. It's like, if, if, uh, if the number one, you know, if, if the number one, uh, mainstream if the leader if the yeah exactly if the mainstream leader isn't going to service us anymore we're going to take our business elsewhere and yeah. i think there's yeah quite a bit of that as well the majority of my liberal friends watch fox news every single night they just want to hear it and it, it's like in a lot of ways um it stoked the eagerness to get out and vote I think people watched it. It's like listening to a hype song before a big game. Like it was, <laughs> you know, like, and, and people were just sitting around getting themselves pumped up to, to go and vote. And, you know, if, for those on, who listen to our podcast, who are, who 
leans in that direction. I don't want to assume every single person leans in that direction. Um, you know, the results were, were you know, positive. Um, all right. Well, Beth, it's a data topic. And we Ooh. want to hear all about <laughs> how TikTok is facing legal action over the handling of child data. Yeah. So this one is kind of a developing story. I will tell you all that I know, but there isn't that much out yet, but definitely something we should follow. So a 12-year-old girl who has gotten the right by courts to remain anonymous because, you know, TikTok influencers and fans could be quite brutal to this 12-year-old, um, is going after TikTok, suing TikTok, um, with the help of England's child commissioner for the handling of her private data. So TikTok was warned um, back in, let's see, 2019. Yep. So not too long ago, um, TikTok actually had to pay a $5.7 million fee to settle allegations from the US FTC that um, TikTok had been illegally collecting personal data of children under 13 years old, which is illegal, obviously. Um, and so this year, they it seems like have proof, not super sure how they would know this, but that TikTok is still collecting data of users who are under 13. Um, this 12 year old is one of those users. And so she is suing TikTok. The details are still a little um, out there. I don't, I don't know how they know what data TikTok has or if it's an assumption, TikTok hasn't responded in any strong way, but it's interesting. What do you guys think? 2021 is, if 2020 was the emergence of TikTok, 2021 will be the year we'll, where TikTok proves their legitimacy as a full-fledged ad business. And, and I think with that comes the conversation around their data and data privacy and what they collect and how it works. Um, if TikTok did anything, it, it, it said, we're here to stay. We are a force. Mm -hmm. um, and just like COVID was the bullet in Quibi, COVID is also was the rocket fuel in TikTok. And now we are in a situation where marketers have flocked to TikTok. We are seeing it with our own brands here at Gray. We have seen it with other clients uh, for other agencies. And now the, the marketers are going to do their tests and they're going to say, oh, this was great. There was tens of millions of views or hundreds of millions of views, or in some instances, billions and billions of views. And uh, and the, the clients are going to come back, the CMOs and the marketing directors and the senior marketing directors, and they're going to say, okay, what does that mean? What's the data? What are they collecting? What can they tell us? What do we know? And um, they are going to have to build a Marsai operation really quickly. And this is about a user's data individually, but I think what it's exposing for all of us is um, they are an unfinished product. And they, you know, and, and it's going to be a very interesting, um, if this child wins 
their case, it'll be very interesting to see what TikTok has to reveal and what does that mean for their development. Yeah. The one thing I did think about reading this is TikTok has a very sophisticated algorithm when it comes to the content you see. So I think it's something like only 10,000 people see the exact same content that you see. They have a really sophisticated algorithm in terms of bucketing people into types of people. So, um, and that takes user data to be able to serve up such personalized and appropriate content based off of how you interact on the platform, the, the little quiz that you take when you sign up for the platform, et cetera. So if they truly are unable, if this goes through and TikTok is no longer able to collect any data on people 13 and below, does that mean that people 13 and below can't use the app anymore? Because how would they fit into the algorithm without any data being collected? Well, that's my question. You know, I know a lot of these, you know, apps have like age, you know, age restrictions in the, in the, you know, kind of like, I think when we all signed up for Facebook, it was like, nobody under 13 can be on Facebook. And of course, you know, they are, but I guess my question is if, if they do have that on TikTok and I'm, you know, I don't know TikTok's terms of service intimately, but it, you know, it, it, I guess my question would be if the terms of service said, you know, you can't be, you must be 13 to use the app, then feels weird that somebody under 13 is suing if they weren't supposed to be on the app to begin with. But again, totally I, don't know agree. Data, I don't know what data they have or, you know, um, so there's a lot of questions, but maybe they need, maybe it's the answer is policing the age restriction. If yeah. And I don't, I don't think a 12 year old would be able to sue if they had lied about their age to get on the app. So I'm guessing their terms of service don't restrict a younger audience, which makes sense because musically now TikTok was a, it spoke to a younger audience. So maybe that'll be where this goes. Either way, I think we should keep following this and report back in a couple of weeks because it's going to be interesting. Yeah, this is interesting. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Well, still talking about TikTok, um, product development. This, hey, we made it like 25 minutes into the pod. We're finally talking about something that's valuable for marketers. Um, just kidding. Um, the uh, news is that TikTok launched their first ever um, LiDAR-enabled AR effect. So for those uh, who don't know what that is, uh, that is a new effect that using the iPhone 12 Pro uh, and their LiDAR technology, it allows um, users to create effects that interact with your environment. So visually bridging together the digital and physical worlds, um, which is a really cool uh, opportunity there. Um, it responds to real world environments like glitter can fall from the sky onto the couch or the floor. Um, and then when you move out of the scene, if, uh, you know, like if you had um, like the glitter falling on you and then you start to move out of the seat, it actually continues to drop down to the floor. So it's like super reactive, um, which is kind of awesome. Very, very cool tool. Um, I think, you know, simply put, uh, this is building out the creator toolkit because uh, TikTok is a place for creators. 
don't know if there's much to add on there, but, you know, exciting stuff, right? Yeah. I think LiDAR technology is so cool. I usually think of it in um, looking at the ground through a heavy rainforest, but I love that what was once used for scientific means is now going to make all of our social media better. Good job, TikTok. That's some science right there. Woo! All right, Beth. Yeah. Speaking of cool science, technology, and social media, what's Facebook doing with their smart glasses? Okay. So Facebook has announced that they are releasing their um, smart glasses sooner rather than later um, in 2021. But I think the big hype around this initially was that the glasses would involve some sort of AR digital overlay technology and that feature will not be part of the release in 2021. Um, in true Facebook fashion, they're being pretty hush-hush about what these glasses will actually be. Um, a quote here is, they're certainly providing a lot of functionality, but we're being quite coy about which functionality precisely we're providing because they don't want to overhype it, which makes sense, but leaves us, I think, as marketers to wonder, what is this? Will this be useful? Is this like something where you could be walking down the street and use geotags to have something pop up for a deal that a store they're walking past, which we all thought oh. was great on mobile, but you know, isn't right in your face. That could be cool, but I think it's a, another wait and see. I, I think that the, the smart glasses game has been really, really difficult for brands to capture successfully. Google Glass, believe it or not, is almost a decade ago. Like, and it, and and <laughs> the, and Facebook's been gearing up for this. They purchased Oculus. Like that purchase, like, I don't know, let me see here. Uh, let's see when the, fa let's see when the Oculus Facebook acquisition was, 2014. So yep. that, so that's seven years ago, right? So this is something that's been long in the making. And I think where it starts to get interesting, I see people who have Facebook portals and gush about them, um, especially mm -hmm. during COVID, because they're a really simple way in the home to be able to interact with one another. People who work at Facebook that have portals, they're actually using them for business calls because the cameras are so good and they track you as you walk through the room and it creates a, real, a much more immersive environment. Uh, you know, it, I, I'll be very curious to see what Facebook learned from Google Glass that they're mm -hmm. going to try and avoid. The fact that they're making them with Ray-Ban and Luxottica is going to be really interesting from like a fashion standpoint. But like Snap had specs that were kind of fashionable also, yeah. and they never took off. So uh, if, if anything, Facebook's really late to this game, and it'll be very curious to see what they've learned, and maybe them not being first movers was a good thing. Yeah. I think, I mean, when we talk about Oculus, you think then that there's going to be this amazing AR component to it. So for me, it's a little bit like, without that, what are we getting? which they are acknowledging they're not telling us yet. So <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. I think the, the partnering with Ray-Ban is the, is the best 
the best piece of this because it's going to it it, it sort of creates that user behavior built in, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to, you know, a sunglass hut and I'm going to buy a, a new sunglasses, maybe I'll check out the the Facebook ones and and take a, give them a give them a chance, right? Um, try them out, see how cool it is, right? Have that opportunity to, um, that you know, get that experience uh, firsthand. But I think you know, putting something out and saying, "Here's a piece of technology." Obviously, this is what we learned from Google Glass, and just saying, "This is it." Do what you want with it. It's not going to catch on. Yeah. Very yeah. curious to see, and I, I you know, I, I'm I'm hoping. Um, there becomes branded opportunities for this because I'm ready to ideate. And I've been talking about TikTok for way too long. So, you know, <laughs> um, all right, everyone. Well, this has been great. And we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to our uh, weekly recap of the five things that are happening in social and digital. If you have any questions for us, or if you have any comments, we're trying to get better. 2021, all about self-improvement. Uh, so you can shoot us an email at podcasts at gray.com. That's podcasts at gray.com. Beth, thank you for being here. Joey, thank you for pinch hitting. We hope to have Amanda here next week, feeling better and ready to go. Uh, But at the end of the day, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Petty and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.